0: This has been quite an exciting time for the city of 10,000 Buddhas. We've had our 10,000 Buddhas Repentance and we've had our uh, Avatamsaka Sutra recitation. These are big assemblies that take six weeks to do. We do it every year, but this year something special happened, which was uh, we also had the uh, anniversary, the commemoration of Master Sren entering nirvana. We had the uh, transmission of the lay Bodhisattva precepts. 160 people took uh, a week to learn about those, and then finally transmit them. And then uh, we had the 30th anniversary of City of Ten Thousand Buddhas. Please help yourself find a seat over here on this side, if you can. And so that was a lot of a lot of coming and going. We had 2,000 people there this time last week, which was a large crowd for a small monastery. So. Um, all of that is now behind us. It's another piece of Buddhist history. And so uh, in the process, we have um, run out of Avatamsaka Sutra text. So next week, we're going to be able to take the next step into our Sutra. And let's do what we always do to open, to keep the spirit of the Avatamsaka Sutra turning, to keep that uh, presence. And what we do is we recite the name of the Sutra And the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas, uh, the spiritual presence, we want to invoke that. So let's do that seven times, and then tonight I'm going to do something special. I think everybody will enjoy. So let's put our palms together, if if you're comfortable doing that, and we'll recite the name of the Sutra and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas.
1: (coughs) Namo
0: So here's what I thought I would do. Um, this, is the, this is the 10th, are we on the 10th of, of July, is that our date today? 11th, 11th of July, and uh, the, something has uh, come around, which is the, uh, when I was a younger monk in my formation as a monastic, I did a pilgrimage along with another monk, It was a long journey along the coast of California on Highway One. Started in South Pasadena, wound up in uh, Ukiah, California. Bowing every third step, bowed to the ground, took a full prostration, and said a prayer for world peace. And the during that time, I wrote uh, two things. I wrote a journal. I kept a journal, wrote every day. This was Master Hua, our founder's instructions. So I kept a journal of what was going on. And I also um, wrote letters to Master Hua. And Marty, my colleague, uh, former Hung Chao, did the same. And those have been published in, in different volumes. One is called News from True Cultivators. And the other is called uh, With One Heart, Bowing to the City of 10,000 Buddhas. So we're in the process of editing those. The, uh, the letters has been out for some time, two volumes in Chinese, one volume in English. And the, the journal has a title, which in Chinese sounds really great, Yi Xin Li Bai Wan Fo Chang. It's really mellifluous, sounds good. In English, with one heart, Bowing to the City of 10,000 Buddhas, sounds impossible. How could two people have one heart? Sounds like anatomically impossible, a little grotesque. It doesn't translate well. And it came out in nine volumes. So that's like nobody wants a stack of books. See what I wrote? Boom! You know, it just fills up your... You can't even put it in a shopping bag because it rips the handles. It's too heavy. Nobody wants nine volumes of a book. So what we're doing is we're editing. We're cutting back. We're trimming, which it definitely needs. We're uh, finding... Um, the best letters, the best, uh, um, the best stories from the journal and squeezing it down into something like maybe two volumes and bringing it up to speed. Now, the letters this last week we worked on, myself, Marty, and David Rounds, who's helping us edit, and it's ready to republish. Now, Houston Smith, our neighbor, the scholar of religion, has added a preface to it, uh, which makes it, uh, it's a real gift on his part to add to these letters. And so we're going to, uh, we've also added um, comments. So, because a lot of the, back then, when we were bowing, we would use lots of uh, words that we translated out of Chinese. And our Chinese was new, kind of raw. We didn't, it wasn't really well digested. And so a lot of the language that we used in these letters doesn't sound like English. It's what we call Chinglish. It's half Chinese, half English. And you can see it's Chinese word order just with English words pasted on it. And since then, that was already 20 plus years ago, since then we've progressed in our understanding of what we're doing, uh, you'd hope, and also in the language that we're using. We're trying to get rid of the code language Get rid of the shop talk and the Buddhist jargon so that people like my mom and people like my non-Buddhist friends, my Catholic friends and Muslim friends can read it and go, oh, huh, that's interesting. I kind of get the idea because it's actual English. Instead of having to guess at what it means by when you say, I certified to the fruit, you know. Or I realized Anuttara Samyak It's like, that's not even English, that's Sanskrit. So it's an attempt to make it mm, accessible and uh, put it into the culture, bring it to the West. So anyway, we did that this week and it was very rewarding for us because this is, these are, this is material I haven't touched since we wrote it back when. And uh, Marty and I really enjoyed uh, revisiting the letters and the experience of bowing. So um, what I thought I might do is uh, use three of those letters as the material for the Dharma talk tonight. And we quote the Avatamsaka Sutra a lot in the letters. So uh, we are actually getting to the sutra at the same time. But uh, I hope it will be uh, uh, fresh for, for all of you. And uh, the shameless plug part is if you... If you enjoy reading it, maybe you'll go back and get the rest of the book, which is the, called uh, News from True Cultivators. It's on Amazon.com, and it's also on our website BTTS online. But we'll get to that in a minute. So that's what I had in mind, and if you give me a second again, we're going to set up the screen and the projector and uh, get the letters. And I'm going to come back to the center of the hall and, and lecture from there. So let's, let's do that right now. If you mind turning that light on, it's the second one. Yeah, and then turn the other one off too. Yeah. Michael, if you would bring that screen forward. We we'll get more of the picture. Yep. Just move it as far forward as you can without hitting it.
1: Okay. Good. Thank you. Okay. Right well, no. okay. There
0: we go. So this is. uh the text of our letters and give you, <laughs> oops, searching for signal. Hmm, interesting. All right, there we go, yes. Thank you for your patience, this is a little bit of a challenging process. Okay, and we're just going to start down here. Now, the pilgrimage, uh, if I were to introduce it to everybody, um, some of you have heard about this before, others don't know what that's all about. Um, The practice was called Three Steps, One Bow which is a traditional practice in the Mahayana that allows you to cultivate outdoors and also to uh, practice devotion. And prostrations are like slow yoga. You do it uh, very regularly regularly took us, eight, we did it 8 hours a day myself and the other monk uh, let's see hmm. here's the bowing route it started out down here in Los Angeles South Pasadena to Santa Monica and in Santa Monica we picked up Highway 1 you can see the arrow down here, the red arrow and we went up Following the Pacific Coast Highway, Lompoc, Central California, up to Monterey, to the Golden Gate Bridge, then on up to Point Arena. People will know where that. Maybe know where that is. And turn right on the Mountain View Road, went across Ukiah. It was 800 miles, and it took two years and a half to get there. So that's the. That was the route, and here's what it looked like. The, uh, there I am as a novice monk and here I am bowing um, the person this is me and this is Marty the one that looks like a lump here <laughs> this, this is the Pacific Ocean and we're in Big Sur this is uh, Marty when he vowed to be a Dharma protector and uh, these are the very first bows at Gold Wheel Monastery in South Pasadena and uh, this is our four-wheeled monastery,
1: 1956
0: <laughs> Plymouth Station Wagon. All the guys go, whoa, dude. Right, it, was a, it was not a classic. It was a classic, not a, uh, what's the next, not an antique, but there, there's a ca- category of cars. And this is the fog rolling in on uh, the mountains of Big Sur. The cars saved our lives many, many times. So... This is uh, the two of us with Master Shrinwa. Oh, you need to, to notice that uh, Marty is displaying his bowing bump. When you bow on the highway, you get—you can't see mine because of the hat. But we—we—we uh, we, we didn't wear gloves, didn't wear knee protectors. We just bowed. So, here we are bowing to Shrinu, sure surprise visit in Santa Maria, and. The uh, here we are having lunch out on the highway. Okay, so that's the idea. Now, what I want to do is uh, share with you some of our thoughts that we wrote to Master Shantihua. Now, these letters are late in the pilgrimage. We're not too far from from completing our. Or bowing. Hope nobody gets dizzy watching this scroll. <laughs> I'm looking for the red. If anybody sees red text, tell me mm-hmm. stop.
1: Ooh.
0: I know it's here. <laughs> uh, it's coming right up. know uh, what's not. Not yet. Uh, let's see. Hmm. Okay, so I know. I know what happened. Um, let's see. I'm going to search for whiskey. There it is. Here's the first one. Oh, that's the wrong whiskey. You gotta find <laughs> another whiskey. Next there, Smart. that's it. Okay. This is day eight fifty. Almost done with the pilgrimage. And we're in the mountains on the road to Boonville. So that's um, we've already turned east. At the end of the bowing day we did transference and drove into Point Arena to dump the garbage. As we pulled into a closed gas station, suddenly we're surrounded by about ten men. They're tough looking and full of whiskey. They start knocking on the car windows. Hey, what's happening, man? You guys are the ones who's bowing in the highway, right? What gives? Asked one in a mocking voice. Yeah, hey, there they are, shot some others spotting us. Let's go check them out. Come on. And some more men run over from the motel across the street. Now, now Point Arena is a working town. Uh, it's lots of fields. It's pretty flat. And uh, there's equal number of Native American, Hispanic... Uh, Caucasian you know, folks there. And uh, we're there at the end of the day, so everybody's knocked off from work and they're in the bars uh, relaxing after work. So, hey, you don't talk, huh? What about him? He says, pointing to Hongshir. That's me sitting in the back seat. Does he talk? Oh, neither of you talk. How are we supposed to talk back to you, huh? Maybe we ride all over your car with paint, huh? Everybody laughs, but they're not joking. Another man steps up. He's got a big scar across his neck and he's clutching an open whiskey bottle in one hand. He grabs the handout. We had this handout that talked about what we were doing. Monks on a pilgrimage for world peace. You know. And he says, what's their gig? He looks at me and he says, your vocal cord shot or something. Another one says, no, it's their penance. Ha, ha, ha. Last. The guy with the whiskey bottle says, hey, don't hassle them. They're doing their thing. He says, he finishes reading the handout about the pilgrimage. He shoves the whiskey bottle in my face. Here, have a drink with me. Or can't you? Your religion forbid it? I nod. What about him? He asks, pointing the bottle on the shirt. Can he drink? <laughs> Look, he's praying, somebody yells. And they all break out in a mocking laugh at the meditating monk. That's me. By the way, this is Marty's letter. Marty's writings. You see, his wife just had a baby. That's why he's so rude and obnoxious says a tall man with a scraggly beard and one eye missing.
1: Yeah, usually I go
0: around and beat the hell out of people, but today I'm celebrating, so you're lucky maybe, comes back the man standing by the open car window. Man, they've been at this since L.A. Two years, exclaims the man reading the paper. That's a lot of miles. Maybe people hassle you, asks one. I nod, no. Really? What about your car? Holding up okay? Okay. I know where you can get it wrecked real fast and cheap, he says. Ha ha. More laps. Tension eases a little bit now. Another truck pulls up behind us and more men jump out. The whole scene is touch-and-go. It could turn into violence or dissolve into no effect. me or sure team in a second. sure and I can feel the spotlight on us. Each move has to be true and proper or the scene will explode. They have crowbars, sledgehammers, lumberjack axes, and chains in their trucks. They could wipe us and the car out in a few minutes if provoked. We don't dare try to roll up the car window or pull out the log, meaning the the journal. There's too many of them and they have us boxed in. Besides, it would only postpone the showdown for a day or two when we bow through the town. They've been watching and waiting for us for weeks, they told us. We move at one mile a day. There's no place to run or hide. We've got to learn to get along with people. Pilgrims are on their own. Kindness, compassion, joy, and giving are all we need to survive. These four unlimited minds cover all situations and leave everyone feeling good. We try to treat everyone the same. No matter what happens, we vow not to show anger. Okay, now here's the quote. This is from the Abhattamsaka Sutra. That's our sutra that we're studying on Saturday nights. And this is the chapter on the Ten Transferences, which is what I lecture at of Ten Thousand Buddhas every week. So there's a quote from the Sutra right here. It's a wonderful quote. The bodhisattvas have entered into the level and equal nature of all dharmas. They have no thoughts of any living being as not being family or friends. Okay? They have no thoughts of any living being being anything except family or friends. If there's a living being who has a thought of hostility towards the bodhisattva, The Bodhisattva views him, her, with kind eyes as well. To the very end, they have not the slightest anger. So, okay, so here's our standard, right? The sutra gives us the Bodhisattva's (laughs) response to situations like this. So, what is our our response going to be, right? So, Marty, this is our... Now, he's writing this after the event, but this sutra pops up in our minds, at times like this, for sure. The bodhisattvas have entered the level, in equal, meaning impartial nature of all dharmas. They have no thoughts of any living being not being family or friends. In other words, all living beings to the bodhisattva are just like family and friends. If there's somebody who's hostile towards the bodhisattva, now who is that? You or me? Bodhisattvas, whoever that is. The bodhisattva views that person with kind eyes as well. To the very end, they have not the slightest anger. So Marty goes on. There's something special about bowing outdoors, slowly going from town to town. It's hard to describe, but after a while, everything seems the same, and everyone feels like family and friends, level, equal. All the men look like brothers or our fathers. All the women look like sisters or mothers. From L.A. through Asia, back up the coast to where we are today, Point Arena, California, all the different cities and villages blend into one big neighborhood we hardly aware of leaving one place and entering another. The bowing naturally levels all the skin-deep differences, and somehow being one with everyone kind of sneaks into your heart before you know it. As tough and threatening as these drunken men were, I'm sure and I didn't feel uptight or angry. There was no hostility or rejection in the air. We all felt this, and slowly things cooled off by themselves. The men relaxed. Well, you gotta get haircuts sometime, "'Or do you do that yourselves, too?' joked one man. Some are huddled together, reading the handout. Others are peeking in the car windows at the altar in pictures of Guan Yin and the Master, while passing around an open whiskey bottle and taking sweets. Mm-hmm. We slowly back the car off, smiling and waving goodbye. "'Hey!' shouts a short man with a mustache. "'You go karate?' "'Yeah!' chime in a couple more. They head for the car with renewed interest in the prospects of a fight. "'You know, kung Fu martial arts?' They pose in TV kung fu stanzas. It was really funny. These guys are all doing this, you know, posing and danny. With beer bottles in their hand, dressed in bib overalls, and construction hats, it's kind of comic looking.
1: I said, no, and fold my hands and bow, indicating, that's our kung fu.
0: They like that. Everything softens again. Smiles come to some tough faces as if to say, yeah, the whole world could use more of that kind of kung fu. Who wants to fight anyway? As we drive away, the man whose wife just had a baby shouts, well, all i got to say is, you better be careful, you two cosmics. Don't float away and disappear into the cosmos. <laughs> Don't let the cosmos eat you up. More laughs and everybody waves goodbye. It was a lesson in kindness and accorded. Here's the Samantabhadra's Praxis and Vows. When one's mind is level and equal towards all beings, one can accomplish perfect, full, great compassion. When one uses the heart of great compassion to accord with all beings then one can accomplish making offerings to thus come one. This is how the Bodhisattvas accord with all living beings. Chapter on Samantabhadra's Practices and Vows. So, it says, when your mind now level and equal, again, that's Chinglish, right? Pingdang in Chinese, it means impartial. In fact, I'm going to change that. This is a work in progress. When one's mind is impartial towards all living beings, one can accomplish perfect, full, great compassion. When you use the heart of great compassion to accord with all of the beings, then you can accomplish making offerings to the Buddhas. This is how Bodhisattva accord with all of the Now, how hard that is, right? Like, some people you don't want to be impartial to because you don't like them very much. You know, the ones who don't vote the way you vote, or the ones who take the tops off mountains, you watching the Mountaintop Removal, MTR, that's a new idiom. We want to get the new acronym. I read this week about MTR, Mountaintop Removal. Happening in West Virginia right this minute. Most everybody knows that when you blow up the top of the mountain, what comes off goes down into the water, goes down into the fields, goes down into the lungs of everybody below the mountain, which is everybody. But one company, for the sake of profit, goes ahead and does it. Now, imagine, you're a minor, you know it's wrong, but you've got a family to feed, you have kids in school, maybe your mom is sick, maybe you've got mm, medical bills to pay, and the company says, come work for us, just like you used to as a minor, but that company is blowing the tops off mountains. What are you going to do? So that's the current situation. How do you feel? Perfect, full, great compassion for that person? of a challenge, a little harder. And yet, you can totally identify with that situation. So when your mind is impartial towards all beings, then you accomplish total, perfect great compassion. Not as easy as it sounds. Okay, the next day we bowed past a large wooded front yard and house on the edge of town. The local kids were playing guns. I used to do this all the time.
1: Bang, bang,
0: gotcha. Did not. Did so. Blast him, Tony. Pow, pow. They see us bowing and everybody stops in silence. Then a rock comes flying at us from behind some bushes. It hits the pavement next to us. We keep bowing. The kids keep watching. In a few minutes, the braver ones inch closer. What are you doing, man? They ask. I write a note and give it to them. We're praying to help the world get better and to be good to our parents. We don't talk. I'll give it to my brother John. He can read, says a little boy. (laughs) John reads it for everyone. They smile. We keep bowing into town. The children stop playing guns and quietly sit in the shade and watch us bow. A car squeals by and somebody yells at us. The kid stands up and defend us. Hey, you better leave them alone. They're good, says the older boy. Two children run up with fresh-picked red flowers and offer them. The older ones ride ahead on their bikes, scouting out the route ahead. Better watch out for that dog up there, he might bite. The other one's okay, says Tony, pointing to a tail-wagging mongrel. We're all changing together, the drunks, the monks, the children. Changing from guns to flowers, from anger to compassion, from confusion to understanding. We're all bowing together with one heart to the city of 10,000 Buddhas. Peace in the way, disciple Boateng, So, Master Hua said, uh, it doesn't matter if you don't wear clothes someday, just stay in the car. It doesn't matter if you don't eat one day, you'll eat the next day, but you must write every day. He said, you have to write every day. Uh, And I think Shripa's wisdom was to, to recognize the power of the experience, the current experience. And what he said was, what will count in the future is when the things that happen to you every day correspond to the principles in the sutra. If you can bring the principles of the sutra, that is to say the Buddha's words, to life with the experiences of your everyday life, that's when the writing will count. He said. So we tried our best to see the, see the world through the lens of the sutra. So that's that was the that was the attempt. So okay, now um, I want to show you just so you get a grounding in what's happening here. That if you go to let's go to Amazon.com. Go to books. If you go to, you go to news from True, it's not oh, cell phones. Won't find it there. If you go to news from True Cultivators, or if you type in Hung and child you'll also get. There it is. And we're in the search. There it is. So it's on Amazon. Okay. The other place to go is if you go to BTTS.org. That's our, that's our book vending Website for our translation. Okay, all right, move on down here. Okay. Uh, This one. That's a very deep repentance about my bad speech karma. And I'm going to go right by that. (laughs) Uh, Here we are, Bloomville Road. It's also called Mountain View Road. Day 857. We're in September 1979. So you can do the math. The Bodhisattvas vow that all beings dwell peacefully in purified Buddha lands, that they dwell in the ultimate path and in places of peace and happiness. That's the ten transferences again. A young woman spoke to us after lunch today. My mother has escaped from Vietnam. No one has heard from her. She might be lost at sea. I hope you'll think of her in your prayers. Okay, when was this? 79. People were still... uh, trying to leave Vietnam at that time. So, we were deeply moved by this girl's sorrowful request. Why do we study and practice the Buddha Dharma? Because we found pure goodness within it. Buddha Dharma is the best medicine on earth. It can cure the suffering of afflictions. If everyone behaved according to these ancient universal rules, all wars would stop and suffering would vanish. Okay, we're going to move on down. Uh, There's a. Yeah, here we go. This is September 17th. Uh, When a bodhisattva gives, he doesn't expect a reward. He doesn't seek fame or reputation. He's not greedy for benefit. He gives only to gather beings in. This is from the chapter on the Ten Practices of the Avatamsaka Sutra. So it's talking about giving. How does a bodhisattva, a real bodhisattva, awaken, be, and give? He doesn't look for a reward. He doesn't want to be famous as a giver. You know, oh, you're a real benefactor. The millionaire. Anybody old enough to remember The Millionaire? That TV show where the guy would anonymously give a million dollar check or something? So he gives only to gather living beings in. He gives as a way to bring people to wake up. Three Steps One Bow is a constant lesson in giving. We have been greatly given to. Our feelings have been deeply moved by the giving we've witnessed and by the boundless gifts we've received. I want to just say a word about that. Um, People don't think about, when you think about monks, you don't think about monks uh, being receivers so much, but in fact, there's one definition of the Sangha, which is Phuken Sangha, the field of blessings, Sangha. That, um, for example, in Thailand, people look at monks and they think, oh, here comes a chance for me to make merit. So they feed the monks every day. Every day, every day. And my experience as a monk is one of constant gratitude for the giving that people do, the selfless giving to me, through me, to the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha a monk can really go wrong if they think, oh, this is mine. or oh, they like me. Or I'm virtuous, and so they give to me. It's they're giving to the triple jewel, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, hoping to plant blessings, to do goodness. So, for me, I'm always working with that sense of, uh, I need to be better. I need to be more sincere in order to be worthy of that gift. Why are Buddhas and Bodhisattvas greatly happy? because of one basic quality, the kind of giving that they can do. Buddhas get to give like nobody else. They can give people awakening. On the other hand, greed kills, desire is death, selfishness ends the world. That's what we've learned in the pilgrimage. As pilgrim monks, we've seen lots of true-life adventures. And of all the good and bad deeds we witnessed, the scenes that will live longest in our hearts are the acts of... Kindness, compassion, joy, and giving. These are called the four limitless attitudes, the four boundless hearts. Kindness, compassion, joy, and giving. Here's an example of kindness. It's Sunday morning, and we're bowing past Sea Ranch. A police car stops, turns, and slowly creeps back around the curve 200 yards ahead to where our car is parked. Suddenly, a white pickup truck guns its engine and squeals away, the cop in hot pursuit. A break-in prevented, two grateful monks, another debt of kindness to repay. Right? Now, to make sense of that, we had this the Plymouth that we mentioned, and we would push the car ahead, uh, or drive the car ahead for half a mile, and then bow up to the car, have lunch, and then drive another half mile bow up to the car and that was the end of the day usually that was about eight hours about one mile a day and it would be great if we could say that we only met really kind hearted people who always protected us not we had our stuff ripped off from the car three times Uh, we had to start over with sleeping bags and such three times so uh, that's how it goes and uh, so this was one of those times at Sea Ranch and the police were watching out for us The uh, highway patrol became our best Dharma protectors. And here a cop went by, saw somebody busting in, turned around and chased him away. The pickup truck fled and the cops, I don't know if they caught him or not, but we were sure grateful for the Dharma protection of the highway patrol. Here's compassion. Mendocino County uh, on a a, uh, curving mountain road a road, a road crew is grading the highway. They're flattening the road. Right? The dust turns the air to pea soup every time the sweeper passes. There's, they have the street cleaner truck. It's, the, it's highway size, right? It's industrial strength street sweeper, and it's it's blowing all the dust, and the, the air turns totally thick, right? Well, we have to bow in a straight line. We don't, we can't change our course, and so here's. Guess what? We get to get covered in dust. We can't breathe. It blots out the sunlight. Then a big caterpillar bulldozer stops. The driver says to Hung Chao, I want to apologize for all the dust and noise we're making. I hate to bother everybody in their worship. Do you plan to be here? Because we're going to be working and making lots of dust. you going to be here long? Hung Chao gives him a handout sheet. He takes it. He says, You fellas from that place outside of Ukiah? I hope to see that someday. See you later, God bless, he says. From then on, the sweepers come up to us, lift their brushes, go past us, and put the brushes back down to avoid uh, dusting the monks off. That's compassion. Here's joy. Foggy morning in Gualala. Big white truck passes, slows, and stops. A tall, bearded man in heavy work boots approaches. His face is full of light, Is he crying or is he happy? He bows slowly, holds an apple in both hands over his head. Oh, he's happy. He stands, hands the apple to the monks, then joins his palms and says, Thank you, brother. He turns and disappears into the fog. This is a very tall guy with a beard and work boots. Here is giving. Labor Day in 1977, that was already two years before. Monks, nuns, and laypeople get up at 3 a.m. in San Francisco and drive seven hours to Santa Barbara, arriving just on time to bring food, goods, and high-voltage cheer to us. The vibes are pure white, young, and vitalizing. Their reward? No reward. A long, hot drive back to San Francisco in Labor Day traffic. They give us dharma, wealth, and courage or fearlessness. Everybody was happy. This is the kind of selfless work that Buddhists and Bodhisattvas do. It teaches us how to give. And here is giving away the fruit. So we had kindness, compassion, joy, and giving. Right? Those are the four, what I call, the four limitless minds. The minds or attitudes that just go on and on and on. Kindness, compassion, joy, and giving. This is what makes cultivation... happy and joyful. On our altar are three round red fruits, a crimson tomato, a red delicious apple, and a scarlet nectarine. They came from people in the Point Arena area. People offer the produce from their gardens with happiness. Each time, there's a touch of magic in the giving. We had a note that came from one that says, these came from our labor on this land. I want to share the fruit of my work with you Because I believe in what you do. Came back and found that note on the atlas. The bodhisattva's path of transference makes possible a rare kind of giving. The gift is pure goodness, it's yang, light, blessings, merit, and virtue. The sutra calls it good roots, wholesome qualities. All Buddhas take the transference of their good roots as the foundation of their cultivation. In other words, giving. What we give away when we cultivate is ourselves. Since my ego is as big as Mount Sumeru, that's the Buddha's poles, pole mountain, that's the center mountain in the Buddha's universe, I have a lot to give. Offerings to the Buddha, giving to living beings, renunciation of personal benefits, forsaking of evil, all are included in the practice of giving. But the fruit of this work is never harvested. The bodhisattva exists only to work. He or she takes no vacations that would look like this in the final edition, and expects no rewards. His or her only satisfaction comes from the gradual growth of his effectiveness. You get better at it. As he gets better at giving, she gets to do more. Gwantriyan bodhisattva bestows happiness from a thousand hands and eyes. Can you imagine how happy Guanyin Bodhisattva must be? His joy, her joy of giving, is the same as the happiness of the point Arena gardeners, only multiplied by a thousand. Maitreya Bodhisattva is the happy Bodhisattva because his big bag is ever full of gifts to all beings. Kids flock to him. His joy is as full as his belly. Even the vows to realize the fruit of Buddhahood is an open-handed harvest. In other words, you harvest it, but your hands open as you give it, not to be grasped or own. Sometimes the work of giving up attachments to self seems bitter and hard to bear. A single thought of transference makes it light and joyous. Pure seeds planted in the Buddhist field of blessings, nurtured with hard, selfless work, produce a rich harvest to share with all the world note left on a bag of vegetables placed in the car. I hope you pilgrims will enjoy this produce It came from our garden. Disciple of what John Bowser has been. Let's see here. Okay, this is, uh, let's see, is this from Marty? Yeah, this is, uh, check here. Yeah, this is Marty's letter from um, September 20th. Okay. Dear Sherpa, these are reflections from a couple of days bowing. We leave the quiet, solitary mountains and enter the Boonville area. Shaved our heads, ate lunch under some cool redwood trees in a small county park outside of town. The last few days we've been bowing on a steep downhill grade. It takes a little practice to keep from sliding downhill while in a prostration. The sash and robe get caught under your heels and it trips us up now and again. If you bowed with your black robe on, you know what that's like, right? You want to stand up and be dignified and you step on your robe and you feel
1: happy."
0: Really happy. I don't know why. I don't want anything. Just want everybody to be happy. At the end of the day, all the traffic stops, and it's very still. As we passed under an oak tree, the only sound was the falling leaves. Each leaf is different, and yet gladly they all return to the one. For all our differences, we people are the same. I found myself getting lost in the layers of truth and wisdom of these simple words. Strange indeed, strange indeed, strange indeed. All living beings have the Buddha nature, and all can become Buddhas. It's only because of false thinking and attachments that they don't reach fruition. So these are the key words, false thinking and attachments. The mind endlessly creating me, 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 even when you know it's not true, me, 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 And yet the Buddha nature is always there to point us the way back. In over two years of bowing, two things clearly stand out. At heart, we're all the same. Everybody wants to cultivate. You can see it in the faces and reactions of all the people we met on the trip. Some say it with words. Some can't find the words, but find other ways to say it, like a farm family handing fresh vegetables and cold water over their front yard fence on a hot summer's day with a simple thank you, or flowers and incense placed on the roadside with a note, we are all with you, or a map and a bag of fruit sitting on the car at the end of the day. Or a little child giving us allowance money. That happened more than once. Or a big smile and a wave from a passing logging truck driver. Or in this conversation with a newsman walking with us on Mountain View Road. Reporter. This is an interesting conversation. I don't know. Maybe I'd be a lot better person if I put down my house and cars, wife and kids, if I just said goodbye to my job and money and all of it. But the monk says, You don't have to do that to be a Buddhist. Just do good wherever you are. If you're a father and a husband, be a really good father and husband. You don't have to be a monk or a nun. Anyone, anywhere can cultivate. Reporter. That's nice to know. Still, so I could still do it as as I am? Monk. Yeah, sure. In cultivation, everything is voluntary. Reporter. But if you don't follow the rules, you know, by keeping the precepts, then that wouldn't really be being a Buddhist, would it? I mean, what's the point if you don't really want to practice? you just be like a lot of other religious people who say one thing and do another. Like killing, for example. Buddhism should be different, I feel. I mean, what you have that's really unique is you actually go and do it. That's rare. He walked on quietly for a while. Then he said... You know, the longer I think about it, the more I see you've got something here with Buddhism. It makes a lot of good sense if you stop to look at it. But isn't it backbreaking work? Monk, not if you follow the rules and you're sincere and single minded. Then it's easy. Doing what you don't want to truly do is what's backbreaking. How about that? Right? It's backbreaking to do what we feel we have to, to be popular, to make a living. It's heroic. If you're doing it for your family, for your kids, how many men, how many guys get up in the morning and go do it anyway? They feel like their steps are made of concrete, but they got to do it because they love providing for their family. That's heroic. Reporter, maybe so. Sometimes when I'm really absorbed in my writing and photography, I'm hot on a good story, I can go for hours without a break and never notice. It stops being work and it becomes the same as, I don't know, the same as no work. Well, anyway, I like the job and I pretty much stopped eating meat. I don't miss it. I feel a lot better all around. I ate a vegetarian meal once about five years ago. It was at your monastery, in fact, in San Francisco, I believe. It was delicious. Now research scientists have found cancer-causing agents in even deer meat now. He watched the bowing for a while. He wanted to stay and cultivate. He asked to see the Avatamsaka Sutra. He wanted to know what it was about. What are some of the things it says, and could I look at it and touch it? Is that permitted, he asked respectfully. Maybe he saw himself cultivating on the highway and using his journalistic skills to write pieces steeped in the Avatamsaka for the betterment of mankind, it came from his heart and not from the pressure of deadlines and a paycheck. We've met so many people like this man who have the same wish and are nearly bursting with the urge to quote, put it all down and really go and do it. All these people feel like our family. We hope that all their wishes come true. The Bodhisattva Mahasattva, the Waking Being, equally contemplates all beings just as if they were his own children. He wants to cause them all to accomplish the world's supreme peace and happiness, the happiness of the Buddha's wisdom, and peacefully dwell in the Buddha Dharma, thus being a benefit to all beings. Ten transferences. The reporter took off his sunglasses and reached out with a big handshake. Today I've been really convinced of something, but I can't say exactly what. You folks are regular on the level. Take care. Good trip. Peace and the way, disciple baking. So, uh, anyway, so any comments or questions so far? I've just been reading along here. Usually, if I'm sitting up there, I can look back and see everybody, but I don't know, my background. The the car eventually? <laughs> Well, I should tell you that the car made it to the city of 10,000 Buddhas. And it's currently being restored right this minute. It nearly got jumped three times. But Master Hua said, this car needs to be put in a museum of American Buddhist history. (laughs) (laughs) it's a piece of our actual history part of the story and it saved our lives more more times than I can count so uh, there are three guys right now in the city who have decided they're going to restore it not to cherry condition but to drivable condition so now it's 56 and so that's you know 60 year old car. we're going to we still have most of the things that we use we still have the stove that we cooked on, and the pots that we used, and the the, uh, the sutra that we read every night, and the picture of Master Hua. So, uh, if you ask this time next year, we can go, here it is. Here's the cup. So, that's a wonderful view, my goodness. But thank you for asking, uh, Let's see here. I'm gonna read you one more because when Marty and I were reading these uh, this week, as we edited, we okay. We realized once again that uh, the pilgrimage. He and I were the the two visible bowing monks, but Master Shrinwa was. The other bowing monk, and he Sherfu worked harder than we did, and uh, saved us. It would not have been possible without we we couldn't have made it out of L.A. without Sherfu uh, taking care of us time after time again. We had guns held at our heads three times, and nobody pulled the trigger. Why not? Uh, we had the car attempted to be pushed off the cliff twice. It didn't happen. Uh, storms came and nearly blew us off the road, but they cleared up mysteriously. And it was not our doing, it's not our merit. This is uh, Sherfu's doing, invisibly, somehow miraculously. Here's a story this is near Malibu. Three days later, we were suddenly surrounded by four more squad cars and a paddy wagon. So, five cop cars surrounding us, right? They came out of nowhere. They swarmed like moths around a light bulb. The group, this group, didn't know. Oh, listen, let's go back. Okay, here we go. Uh, Gold Mountain Buddhists have already got a good reputation with the law authorities for being peaceful, law-abiding, rule-following citizens. Not far from here in Topanga Canyon last week, there was a bad incident. Two robe-wearing, shaven-headed young men who fit our description assaulted a 16-year-old boy and held him at knife point for an hour. Two LA sheriffs stopped us, frisked us
1: up and down the robes, right,
0: did a whole series of checkouts for warrants, IDs, etc. When they decided we were not the ones they wanted, they relaxed. They said later they thought the assailants were accretions. They asked about our trip. The cops were efficient, and they left wishing us good luck, wishing us well. So, near, somewhere on L.A. beach, two guys in robes of bald heads got, you know, assaulted a kid and held him at knifepoint. So the police came to check us out, because, oh, here we are, two guys wearing robes, bald headed. So they did the whole checkup, and at this point they knew it was okay. So, three days later, we're suddenly surrounded by four more squad cars and a paddy wagon. They came out of nowhere. They swarmed like moths around a light bulb. This group didn't know about the 1st checkout. They approached us very hostily, guns drawn, saying, you have your knives on you? Hung Chao answered, we're not allowed to carry weapons. It's against the rules. Are you Buddhists or Christians?" Oh, we're Buddhists. Oh, yes, yeah, you guys. Oh, okay, no problem. Say, do you do that bowing all day? Hong Chao says, yeah, we get up at 4 o'clock. We pray, we meditate, we bow until 10 p.m., We eat one vegetarian meal a day. They go, whoa, grins. Whoa, one meal a day? Okay, see you later. Watch out for cars. Good luck. They also said, you guys know the arts, meaning martial arts. Everybody's interested in martial arts. So Marty says, just enough to stay awake in meditation. We do Tai Chi. Okay, now look here. I want to show this is the last one. Mentioning about Shirfu, this is day 120, September. We started in May, it's now September, Labor Day weekend. We made it up to Santa Barbara. Shripa said, don't be pleased if gods, dragons, and bodhisattvas come. Don't be angry if demons and non-Buddhist religions come. There's a footnote, an externalist, Wai Dao, is a follower of non-Buddhist religion. Some days it's hard to not feel, it's hard not to feel overjoyed. I feel full of happiness. I can barely contain it. It's a feeling like the Buddha's birthday, the Master's birthday, and Ulambana all rolled into one surprise gift. A visit out of empty space by the Venerable Abbot and 14 Gold Mountain cultivators and friends. What was the occasion? Just another exercise of the Bodhisattva practice of forgetting oneself for the sake of others. Where else in the world are there people like these who got up at 4 a.m., drove 350 miles south from San Francisco to Santa Barbara, just to bring lunch and support and encouragement to two members of the family on an extended work leave. Inconceivable. How did they ever find us, half hidden in the shade of a lonely highway outside Santa Barbara? How did Han Chao and I both know that something special was coming that day? This morning he said, let's stay out and be visible today. Why did I clear a sitting area under a certain eucalyptus tree hours before they arrived, the same tree we all sat beneath? How did three cars, speeding along, dodging tickets and asking the way from passers-by, manage to arrive at the same time, just before lunchtime? Only through the power of goodness could the small miracle we saw today come about. We all witnessed a feat of spiritual engineering, the kind of thing that happens all the time at Gold Mountain. Sitting in the van... Okay, so here's what happened. This was uh, Labor Day. And uh, because people know... Around Santa Barbara, Highway 1 and Highway 101 are the same road, and it's too busy. We can't bow on 101. It's a super highway there, so we had to take a side road. And all along, uh, the kind lay people, starting mostly from L.A. at this point, because Santa is closer to L.A., they would come and f- they would cook, and then come and find us along the highway and bring us fresh food, which was great because we didn't carry food. And that means we could eat uh, warm, warm food. And Helen Wu, bless her heart, in her basement had a map, you know, like the movies of the army with their HQ and, you know, synchronized watches, you know, and they're pushing pins in the map and (laughs) suspects are seen. She had our our war map, you know, our our HQ map of where we probably were. And people would say, ah, where are the monks? We got the food ready. And she would say, ah, they've last been seen near Lompoc. Okay, you know, call me if you see them. So uh, anyway, so this was Santa Barbara, and we were off the road. We were very hard to find, and the, this time the food was coming from the north, from San Francisco, which is 350 miles away, and it's very hard to get there. If nobody shows up by 11 o'clock, we eat granola. You know, we had we picked wild food. We picked our own wild plants off the side of the road, so we would do that, and that was lunch. And you get one shot, and if if the lunch comes down at 12.30, because they couldn't find us, well, maybe we'll eat it tomorrow. Maybe we won't. You know, So it was really tricky to get fresh lunch when people came. But they found us. And they all found us at the same time. Three different cars. They didn't lose each other. So that was kind of amazing. Um, so here we are sitting in our van. In our We'd recited, you know, Fa, Shi, chong Man om yi, tofu, we're ready to eat. And I already put rice in my bowl. And I was going to eat the first spoonful. Hung Chao looks through the window and his voice goes, Shufu, look. I said, impossible. You know, we look around and there's golden robes walking through the sunlight to the car. Trufus found us at lunchtime in Santa Barbara. You, know, you can imagine we hadn't seen him for you know two months that time. There they came walking, three cars full of people aglow with inner light. Monks, nuns, novices, lay people. They look closer than blood relatives. Hard-working, well ported heroes of the way. Of course, I'm a little dramatic as I'm writing here, but you can appreciate the emotion. Such a rare and wonderful assembly of people. We all sat for lunch. We listened to stories and instructions. We laughed and shared food and offerings with our Dharma friends. Then, up and away, the assembly went on the long ride back to the city. They just came down to give us light, wonder of wonders. I felt made of wood, stunned. I wanted to give thanks, to acknowledge the work and kindness of everybody. But I had to let my heart and my eyes speak, because I was silent this whole time. Sitting next to the venerable abbot is like sitting in a cool, clear pool of liquid light. No thought bothers your head. Whose head? The great compassion mantra seems to recite itself, just as regularly and normally as your heartbeat. Perceptions are clear, sharp, and relaxed. No worries exist, no pressures. Even if I'm being taught or scolded, it feels like sweet dew. I'm sure that sitting in the Buddha's Dharma assembly is much like this. Then, inconceivably, the master rubbed my head and rubbed Hong Chao's head. I feel energy moving through my center to my toes and back again. He tonked in my head. He said, is it ripe? Is it ripe? Is melon ripe? <laughs> he asked laughing as he thumped our foreheads with his finger. Bowing later that afternoon as if on air, we looked up to find a mammoth white cloud, the only cloud in a bright blue sky as big as the Sierra Madres below moving northwest and shaped exactly, perfectly like a dragon in full flight. Every detail was there, tails, ears, claws. And as the afternoon turned to evening, the dragon moved further north. We felt that he was hovering over the caravan of cultivators on the road back to Gold Mountain. So there are days when it's difficult not to feel overjoyed, and Labor Day 1977 will live in our memories as long as the tall eucalyptus stands, the white flower tree, that shaded our lunch along the flower garland highway. To share affinities with cultivators whose lives are dedicated to making others happy with no thought of themselves is truly a life worth living. bows. So, okay, that was my letter. Here's Marty's letter, same day. Dear Sherfu, Sunday when bowing, I had a vision of everyone at Gold Mountain having a chance to do their own bowing once every three steps. Lay people and left home people all got to pursue to the limits of empty space our own particular Dharma. Each person's face and presence was glowing and serene. So happy were the faces. No face showed any concerns or doubts, just smooth, genuine, lit up joy. It was really neat, to say the least. Each person was different, yet all reflected the same purity and trueness. There was a closeness felt, a big family of Dharma friends shining on each other. And then on Monday, the very next day, who drives up? The Master and the Fourfold Great Assembly. Okay, now, this is Marty's vision, right? While bowing. He saw this on Sunday. This is not really people. Okay, this is Marty's vision. Big family and Dharma friends. And then on Monday, three-day weekend, Labor Day, very next day, who drives up? The Master and the Fourfold Great Assembly. I wanted to hug everybody and give something. A few tears dropped into my noodles as I looked around at all the faces and goodness sharing and shining as we sat under eucalyptus trees The minutes before were just another stopping place for us. Bhikshuni hung in stretched up on tiptoes to carve and commemorate the occasion on a high eucalyptus tree with a Swiss army knife, as a visitor named Malcolm, sitting with an untouched plate of food in his lap, stared incredulously. This guy showed up. named Malcolm. Hi! What are you all doing here? You know, here's Shifu and the Gold Mountain Group. Malcolm had brought out a melon to share with two monks in a quiet lunch, and then everybody drove up. The master lectured for, gestured for him to join with irresistible and inclusive kindness. I felt a bit like Malcolm, speechless and overwhelmed by the awesome virtue of the assembly. As fast as you came, you left. No big deal, said the master. A huge, mile-long dragon cloud hung in the otherwise totally cloudless sky for hours, and the joy and light you brought to our hearts and work will see us through many bowing miles. Then something more incredible happened. The Master knew the exact section of the Sixth Patriarch Sutra we had read that very morning. His comments and allusions to it were right on the nose. Not only that, but the Master also knew my deepest thoughts and troubles of the last few days. I hadn't told anybody, not even Hung sure. So, how did I know? the Master laughed and asked. And the same for Hung After everyone left, we were like ten-year-olds again, smiling and ready to tackle the Labor Day highway. Together we go to perfect enlightenment. I hope so, I hope so. Much peace in the way. Disciple Gautin. Okay. And that was one of those days. Okay. okay. Questions? I
1: have a question. Part uh, of the time you seemed to have vowed silence, and then other times you were speaking to the uh, police and whatnot. Yeah. Can you explain
0: that? Right. Um... The the letters give the impression that I was speaking. I was silent for six years. The only time I talked ever was to Master Huang. But uh, sometimes it says says, but I I did write notes to Marge. Got myself in plenty of trouble even with writing notes. But words didn't come out actually. Uh, At night we would read the sutra. We do the ceremony and read the sutra, and because he doesn't speak Chinese, I would translate the sutra. But that was it. And uh, after the pilgrimage took two years and and six months and after uh, we finished I kept that going for another three and a half years. Sorry. but uh that's that's only the, the letters that's giving the impression. Yeah. More questions
1: about why didn't you choose these biologist for six
0: Um well, one answer would be read the book because I go in <laughs> embarrassing detail about my my bad habit of speech. I um, what I was trying to do was trying to uh, get a handle on my habit of lying. I was I was an uh, an actor. I was in theater when I was uh, before I became a monk and. The uh, the quality of an actor is enhanced. Uh, or, let's see, the actor is as good as the illusion he projects, right? If I can convince you that I'm the role I'm playing, then you get into the play, right? Well, that would be good if you stop the act when you're off once you're off stage, but I didn't. I would keep it going, uh, and I would continue to pretend that I was so and so because. Uh, it gave me an air of mystery, and it made me special. It made my very ordinary life something different. You know. So, on one hand, you could say, "Oh, how interesting." On the other hand, you could say, "Phony, totally phony." And uh, Master Hua, uh, being a really good teacher, didn't. He wasn't polite about that. He gave me the Dharma name fruition of the truth and when I asked about it he said you lie too much (laughs) you know whoa that's pretty direct and uh, that was the very first time in my life that I had considered excuse me that I had considered the possibility that I wasn't 100% cool and groovy uh doing whatever I wanted to uh, with words. And, oh, you mean that there's something wrong with uh, adding salt and vinegar to the story, with exaggerating, you know? Isn't it a better story if it's more fun if I, you know, stretch at the truth? Yeah, that makes it's more fun but if you're cultivating, and this is Master's, Master Hua's point, if you're cultivating, if you, you want to do what the Buddha did, your mind has to be straight. And so, when I was um, when I was a novice monk at Gold Mountain Monastery. I had plenty of chances to um, get, dig myself into a hole, thinking I could speak Chinese. I, Master Hua had this way of—he uh, would teach you by giving you the job you were least qualified to do. He'd, th- he'd th- kind of like Murphy's law, I guess. That's not Murphy's law. It's everybody rises to the level of their incompetence, right? He would throw you into the thing that was your weak point so that that would come to the surface quicker and you could cultivate it. So he put me in a job where I was speaking all the time, and uh, speaking Chinese, and my Chinese was half-learned. So I would say things I didn't know. I wasn't really in control of what I was saying, and I would make a lot of people upset, elder monks in particular. So it came clear really early on that I needed to pay attention to my words. And so when I started the pilgrimage, uh, I asked Master Hua if I could talk less. And he said, how about not at all? (laughs) And here was Marty, the the Dharma protector, Hung Chao, and Master Hua said, uh, all right, he'll talk. You just focus on your bowing. You just be quiet and bow full time. That would be great. So that was the deal from day one. And uh, it's funny. Um, as the pilgrimage went along, it, was, it became clear that the, my keeping silent was really important to my work somehow. That was as important as finishing the bowing. It's funny. that, You know, who would think? I'll just being quiet. But I got tested on it all the time. And people would come up and uh, challenge me, you know. And by keeping silent, I was able to focus. So now, people say, what did you get out of the whole thing? What did you get out of it? Why did you do that, that whole pilgrimage? And my best answer is, um, the result of the two and a half years of bowing and six years of silence is now... If I get the impulse to tell a lie, I get a warning bell. I get a little bit of lead time before I actually try again to improve reality with a story. So what I learned is, by being silent, that my heart and my mouth have a kink in them. Instead of just speaking spontaneously, wouldn't that be great? I'm sure most of you can do that. You can say what's on your mind without having to pass it through the big me that wants to get a little bit of extra benefit out of the words. Now, when it goes, I get, ding, and I, there was a Lulu. That was a ringer. Better swallow that one. So, that's the benefit. That's you know, it's like a pretty meager benefit, right? Do you get enlightened? No, I learned that I really still lie. But I get a little warning now, because I looked at my mind do it so many times. I got sick of not telling the truth. So anyhow, that's that's why I was silent, and uh, it saved a lot of trouble, I must say, because uh, uh, when you I lived really really close to Marty for all those years, just right there in a small station wagon under incredible pressure, and if I'd been talking, we would have been fighting all the time, (laughs) but because I couldn't, you know, it's like I just, you know, swallowed it, so lots of benefits, (laughs) I think it's because he sees people's natures. I think he sees right through you. So, for him, or he would, sure, if would if you ask him that question, he'd say, spend five minutes with him, you'll know right away. He doesn't tell the truth. So, uh, people would say, oh, how wonderful to be with a, a real Zen monk, right? And think, yeah, wonderful. You know, it's like, like being under the sun you feel like you always want to put on sunscreen and dark glasses cuz he's shining at you you know yeah it, it is and if you can stand it there's nothing like it but man oh man nowhere to hide nowhere to hide he sees right through you all right well that was our uh sutra lecture i would like to invite folks to please to come back next saturday for uh, the sutra will have more text. We're going through the Ten Grounds chapter uh, week by week, and this was uh, to give us a little bit more time. So, because we, we went through our book, what we have now, we're translating as we go, and we're done. So, we have to uh, uh, translate more so we can get the next chunk of our book added on. Where the English text is being added as we go. When we're done, it's going to be like that. But we're uh, we're now. Uh, halfway through the first practice the first ground now uh, tomorrow if you're anywhere near San Jose, California you want to hear another sutra lecture come to Gold Sage Monastery down on Clayton Road in in the eastern hills of San Jose most people don't know that there are hills in San Jose but you climb up the, uh, the hills and look down over the Santa Clara Valley it's very beautiful On a clear day, you see all the way across to Campbell, and you can see the spires of the the Bay Bridge up in the top of the bay. It's very nice. Um, That's at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, and the the Sutra Lecture is interesting down at Gold Sage because, number one, there's a Vietnamese translation going full-time with earphones. So we've got Chinese, English, and Vietnamese. My my part is bilingual. I do Chinese and English, so you can hear two languages. Um, and the other interesting thing is that there's no English text. We make it up. That's not We don't make it up. We create the translation as we go. There's no English translation already. Our Ten Grounds, there's a translation. It's there. We're just polishing it. But the Sutra Golden Light doesn't exist in English. So what we do is we put that projector out there and... We have the Chinese in our hands, and we create the English translation, and it requires everybody to use your own wisdom and contribute. Everybody goes, ah, how about if you do it this way? We chew on it, ah, it's good, but what about this way? Ah, that's it. So our translation goes down line by line by line, and it's a unique way to get into the mind of the Buddha, because here's his words in Chinese, we're doing it in English. And it becomes an exercise in, uh, in English language, Chinese language, and wisdom. So it's really fun to, to do it. And we've gone, we're done with Chapter 1 already, and people are into it. At first, nobody wanted to say anything. Oh, you do it, Dharma Master, what do we know? But after a while, they couldn't wait. And they said, I don't like that translation, could you try this? You know, oh, that's even better. Good. So we're encouraging people to participate, and it's, it's getting really fun. Uh, it's also very crowded. People have been coming. The Vietnamese community is just expanding because people are into it now. It's really fun. So that's tomorrow from 9 to 11 down at Gold Sage Monastery, San Jose. Uh, Also, uh, do come next Saturday. And if you'd like to find out, suppose you were here for the first time tonight, if you'd like to uh, find out more of how we go, go to DharmaRadio.org. One, one word, Dharma radio, that's the URL. Dharmaradio.org, where we have archived all the lectures so far. Um, I got an email from somebody in Atlanta who says, "You know, I listen to your 10-ground Sutra lectures on my way to work every day. It's the best part of my day." She said, "I play the Avatamsaka Sutra on the highways of Atlanta every work day." So people do uh, do listen. And uh, it's archived, so you can burn it onto a CD or put it in your MP3 player. Um, and we really appreciate all the effort. It's not easy to get that out there, but it's, we're webcasting right this minute, and that will be archived once we get it up online. Uh, okay. A couple more comments here. Oh, let's do something first. Usually, what we do is we transfer the merit at 9 o'clock so that people who are listening online don't have to wait all night. Because uh, some people are listening in a different time zone, and it's really late for them. So, if we transfer the merit now, then I'll tell some uh, announcements and stories, and we'll move on here. Um, The Dedication of Merit. We don't have our sutra books, so those of you who know it, please, please sing loudly. Make a wish. Practice this giving, practice of giving we're talking about in the letters. And share the merit with all living beings.